chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. We'll read that together. Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you look to the verses before our text, you can see the context of what we just read. Verse 32, you can see that Jesus, of chapter 10, you can see that Jesus led the way on the road going up to Jerusalem, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And the Lord Jesus knew that when he got to Jerusalem, they would mock him and spit on him as the chief priests and scribes would hand him over to the Gentiles, where he would be flogged and killed. And you can read Jesus talking about that in verses 33 and 34 of chapter 10. And his 12 disciples knew this as well, but they didn't understand that the glory of the Son of Man would be in his service and not in his powerful authority. And so the Lord Jesus had just taught them that in chapter 10, verses 35 to 44. And in verse 45, you see it. The true king sent from God came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind so that they might follow him. We see that in verse 52 of chapter 10. But he also showed them that it would not be easy to follow him. So there were crowds who were following Jesus. but They showed that they didn't understand what it meant to follow him. The Gospels make it very clear that the people were expecting a Messiah who could lead them as king. You can see that, for example, in John 16, 6, verse 15, where they wanted to even force him to be king, to destroy the Romans, to restore the kingdom of God among his people, Israel, immediately. And if this is what Jesus had come to do, 
You could say in our text he had the, the crowds in his hand as he made his way into Jerusalem. It looked like they would loyally follow him to death in a battle against the Romans. But then as soon as Jesus talked about their hearts and about sin and about the cross, they turned against him. Jesus knew their hearts. They were a people who wanted victory without talking about sin. They wanted comfort without looking at their own hearts. They wanted a king of their own making and not the king that God had sent. And today is Palm Sunday. And as we prepare our hearts and minds for the commemoration of Christ's death on the cross on Good Friday, we pay attention to what kind of king we worship and what that means for our lives as Christians. And I preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under the following theme, the king who came to die entered Jerusalem on a colt. We'll see the prophecy that points to the colt, the praise that ignores the colt, and the promise that we see in the colt. If you look at your text, you could see that Mark uses almost as much space in our text to describe how Jesus acquired the colt and what it was like as he does describing the actual entry into Jerusalem. 11 verses 1 to 6 about getting the colt and then 7 to 11 about going into the city. And with the Passover drawing near, it was likely that there were many other pilgrims around and yet the Lord directs his disciples to the exact spot where they can find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Those who, when those standing by that dependent young donkey and its mother heard that the Lord had need of it and will send it back here immediately, we read they, they let them go. Verse 6. Why? did the Lord Jesus temporarily need to borrow this specific colt at this exact time? What place does that colt have in God's revelation? Well, many years before, after the people had returned from exile in Babylon to their own land, they were like a small trembling child in the midst of mighty armies around them, the Lord comforted his people through the mouth of his prophet Zechariah. He read a portion of those words. And in that place, he condemned the surrounding nations who were persisting in their wickedness. That's the first seven verses of Zechariah 9. And he promised in verse 8 that no oppressor, he promised that he would encamp at his house as a guard so that none shall march to and fro no oppressor shall gain, again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. The Lord promised to protect his people, and then he described how he would guard them. It's in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." The covenant God had comforted his people to say that he had seen their suffering 
He remembered his covenant promises and he will come to them as a righteous king who comes to save. And if you look closely at Zechariah 9, verse 9, you will see that his focus is on the righteousness of the promised king and not on his political might to save Israel from enemy forces. Zechariah's prophecy is not political, but it was theological. It was not a a promise of God versus the nations, but it was a promise of God versus sin. The Messiah he was promising revealed God's desire to save his people from the punishment that their sins deserved, which is the attack of the nations. So the prophecy of Zechariah makes it clear that Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was for much greater reasons than for the political self-rule of the people of Israel. The Lord Jesus really has very little to say about Roman oppression, about the form of government, about the best political party here in Canada. His focus is on the spiritual well-being of everybody, conservatives and liberals, socialists and capitalists, good rulers and poor rulers. And our Lord Jesus calls us to reflect the same spiritual focus in our lives as his church. In Zechariah, we also read that this king will come humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Compared to the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem that was also mentioned in Zechariah 9, verse 10, you could see the comparison, a lowly little baby donkey compared to a mighty war horse. The young donkey is a very lowly animal to ride. Jesus reveals himself as a king exactly according to the prophecy. But let us not miss this point. As Jesus enters into his final week of passion, he makes it very clear that he, the peace that he brings will come through the way of lowliness and shame. Jesus borrowed the colt to show that he was really a king to be despised by men. In today's terms, it would be like a king slowly pedaling on his old childhood bicycle into the town instead of the normal entourage of blacked-out luxury vehicles. He did not fit the picture of a strong king. In fact, he could not that picture because he came to fulfill the prophecy. He came to bear the shame of the curse. He came to bear the mockery of the one on high. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die under the wrath of God for our sins, even though no one even wanted him to do this. They did not want this lowly king And we rejoice greatly and we shout aloud as we see in Zechariah 9 verse 8 because God loved us so much 
that he sent the one he promised to be humbled, to be crushed, to be shamed because of our iniquity. We rejoice greatly because Jesus is king according to the prophecy of Zechariah, a king on a colt, a king who came to die. Jesus knew this, and his disciples had heard this. The crowds would have been shocked to see the colt, but whether it was their political ambition or that made them decide to overlook it, or they just justified it as a, as a novelty of their chosen leader, we read that the crowds erupted in honor and praise. The people ignored the colt. We read in verse 8, Mark 11, verse 8, that after the disciples threw their cloaks over the colt, the crowds around put their cloaks and leafy branches they had cut from the fields. And also, Matthew 21 says, branches they cut from the trees. And they laid all these on the ground to honor Jesus as the great king by saving even his colt, the indignity of walking on the ground like common folk. John tells us that some of the crowd praising him had taken branches from palm trees from Jerusalem. And then they went out to meet him. Thus the name is Palm Sunday. And it appears to be exactly as Zechariah had prophesied. There could be no doubt that the Lord Jesus was announcing that he was the promised Messiah. He was the righteous king who comes with salvation in his lowly state upon the colt, who could not rejoice to see the words of the song becoming a reality. The Israelites following him and, and ahead of him began to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna comes from the Hebrew words Hoshiana, which means save, please, just like we read in Psalm 118, verse 25. And the word Hoshiana is even related to the name Jesus, which means Savior. The expression, which is taken from Psalm 118, was typically sung at the time of the Passover, the end of the Hallel, to praise God for his faithfulness in the past, and then to ask him to, to save them through the stone the builders had rejected. It was a messianic song that the crowd were singing. They were singing the psalm that cries for deliverance through the, the, the rejected king, the psalm that praises the Son of God who came to die was the one they were singing. They even said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But there's a problem in our text. And anyone who knows Psalm 118 and knows the Old Testament and compared their song to what we read together, you would have noticed it right away. Our Lord Jesus certainly did. For although the crowd sang the psalm that cries for deliverance, 
through the rejected king, the stone the builders had rejected, the crowds did not see Jesus as the lowly, suffering king of the prophecy. They ignored the colt. They add to Psalm 118, saying, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They moved from Bartimaeus' cry in the verses right before our text to Jesus as the son of David, and they replaced it with cries for the restoration of the political kingdom of David. They didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God whom the Lord had sent to take away the sins of the world. They only saw him as a leader who could bring them political freedom. They didn't want to think about the consequences of following a king on a colt. As Jesus clearly reveals the gospel, that he is is willing to die for his people on the cross, he he was announcing to them his his willingness to, to bear their shame. The people turn away from him to themselves, and they reject this kind of savior from sin. And they honor him for the wrong thing. They honor him for something that he didn't even came to do that goes completely against his mission and his calling and the mission and calling he had just announced in verses 42 to 45 of chapter 10. They, are, they were like, like people today who claim Christianity, to claim to be followers of Christ for the comfortable life, for his blessing on their crops, for the, for the victory. But they have no interest in thinking about confessing their sins, their need for a savior to die for them in shame and humility on the cross. The Christian gospel is not a power gospel of authority and the destruction of our, of our enemies, but it is a suffering gospel of taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following Jesus Christ through death to life. And so we see that right there in the midst of all that shouting and and cheering, the suffering of our Lord Jesus is intensified by the ignorance of the very people he came to save. The lowliness, the shame of the ride on the colt and his choice of the way of suffering were ignored. And the Lord Jesus was very alone as he entered Jerusalem amidst this ignorant crowd who were shouting and rejoicing and where the praise should have been heartfelt and and thankful to God for for the gift he had given, it was just noise. It was just praise that was superficial. And all this makes us wonder about ourselves, about how we sing the Psalms, about how we praise God for his Son. Do we understand what we are praying, what we are confessing? What do we do? What do you do to make sure that you are not as guilty as the Jewish people who are lining the sides of the road singing the Psalms without understanding so that it turned into mockery, that it saddened our Lord Jesus Christ? What do we do to avoid breaking 
the third commandment, using the name of the Lord in vain when we sing God's holy word. We are encouraged again not to sing our songs to the wrong beat. If the Jews were guilty for misunderstanding the purpose of the Lord Jesus, how much more guilty are we who have seen the promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ? We see that promise, the promise that we see in the cult. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem marks the beginning of what is traditionally called Jesus' Passion Week. The word passion means is is suffering, is, is week of suffering. The passage of Mark that we have read ends with a noticeable anticlimax that really highlights the suffering of our Lord. Here he is, he, he entered in Jerusalem, the crowds were cheering, they were putting their cloaks on the ground and, and they said, blessed is he. And then look at verse 11, and he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple and when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Now that's something everyone would have expected if they had paid attention to the cult that our Lord Jesus was riding. The cult made it clear that Jesus did not come to be that political hero on a war horse leading a rebellion against the Romans. He didn't want to give his ear to the devil's offer when the devil had said, you can have all the kingdoms of the earth. That's not why he came. And today we celebrate the promise that we can see in Jesus' revelation of the cult. And although this entry that we read about into Jerusalem didn't mark the moment of his coronation, it was accompanied with the promise of victory over sin on the cross. The crowd in their superficiality missed that Jesus' apparent lowliness on that day was simply a step, was not a step on the way to secular glory. Rather, that lowliness, that that shame, a a king on a colt, a a mighty king riding a little rusty tricycle down the street, that, that shame that they saw as Jesus made his way through the Kidron Valley, it needed to reach an even deeper humiliation. The colt would be returned to its owner. And rather than riding on the back of a colt, The Lord Jesus would have to walk the path to Golgotha with a cross on his back. The cloaks on the road would be taken back by their owners. But the very garments on Jesus' back would be taken off and divided by lots in his utter humiliation. The joy manifest and cries for peace would be replaced with bloodthirsty cries that Jesus be crucified. For the very people who praise the one they did not understand, the ones who acclaimed Jesus of Nazareth were unwilling to submit to Jesus Christ as their king. And so the unhappy Pharisees, who we read about in Luke, and this elated crowd in Mark that we read about, they are allies, for they both do injustice to the essence of Christ's official calling. He came humble and riding on a colt, 
not to receive praise from men or even to make the Jewish leaders even more jealous, but he came so that he might die for sinners even in the midst of their blindness. A week later, the Lord Jesus would be put to death for the sins of the very people who had praised him as powerful king one day and then just as quickly rejected him. Jesus is a gracious Savior who kept on going even though he was not understood. A Savior who gives his life to save the very people who wanted to cancel him. And it is in Christ's humiliation and in his suffering and in his willingness to give his own life that we see the reason for our own rejoicing and praise on this Palm Sunday, or maybe we could call it the Colt Sunday. The problem on Palm Sunday was not that people praised Jesus, but that they praised him for the wrong reasons. The Holy Spirit continues to lead us to join in with the praise to Jesus, our Savior. We'll, we'll even be doing that when we sing hymn 29, because he bore the shame and he bore the punishment of God against the sins that we deserve to suffer for. That is why we are rejoicing. God has heard that prayer, that Hosanna prayer request of Psalm 118, and he did save us. We cried out, Hosanna, O Lord, save please. And he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to be our king. And the gospel message for the world today is that when Jesus bore the full wrath of God against sin as he was hanging on the cross, he set everybody who believes in him free from all the anger of God. And the only question for you is whether or not you see Jesus, the humiliated, the crucified one, as your Lord and Savior. Paul says that there's a foolishness in the cross that announces the gospel. Are you submitting to Jesus, the cult rider, as king? Or to some other image of Jesus that is more similar to the man that the crowds on Palm Sunday thought they were looking at? Let us make sure today that we don't forget the cult. The cult reminds us that our Christian faith does not promise us any power or comforts or advantages over our neighbors in this life. Our greatest need is not freedom to do what we want in this world, but it is the forgiveness of our sins that our Lord extends to all who humbly submit to the King who came to do God's will. In his kingdom, the greatest, says our Lord Jesus, are those who give their lives for others and who do not look to, to lord it or do not seek to lord it over others, to demand respect. And so we enter the spiritual battle. It's a mighty battle. We enter as cult riders, dependent on Christ's finished work, certain of the forgiveness of our sins, trusting in the power of God to save us. It might look like foolishness to the world in this spiritual battle, but our king rode on a colt. 
And as we understand our place in the history of redemption, we realize that we are no longer looking for a leader or a, a man on a colt. We're not even looking for a man carrying a cross, not even a man walking out of a tomb. As we place ourselves among the crowd of believers, we are among those eagerly anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ on the clouds. We are looking for an eternal king who has promised to come again. In Matthew 23, verse 39, as the Lord Jesus left the temple in Jerusalem after weeping for its destruction, he declared to the people of Israel saying, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We rejoice greatly to use the words of Zechariah 9 for the king who came humble and mounted on a colt was righteous as promised. He was the one who obtained salvation and he did so for everyone who sings the psalm, the words of Psalm 118 with meaning and with understanding. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let us prepare the way for his coming. No longer with cloaks and, and palm branches on the road, but in our hearts and in our lives as we dedicate ourselves to live our lives worthy of the eternal song that we will sing in Revelation 5, verse 12, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Come, Lord Jesus, amen.